Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. Now, many listeners of this podcast will know that Mike and I did not create the very first French-Canadian-themed podcast to come out of New England. In fact, when I started this podcast, I was very aware of the work of our guest this week, Sandra Goodwin. Sandra's podcast, Maple Stars and Stripes, was absolutely something that influenced the creation of this podcast. It is, an, It was excuse me, an absolute honor to be the guest of Maple Stars and Stripes podcast, uh, actually the episode that came out on April 1st, and I am very, very excited to now welcome Sandra Goodwin to our show. Welcome, Sandra, to the French Canadian Legacy Podcast. Thanks, Jesse. It's great to be here, and it's strange being on the other end of the microphone. (laughs) It must be. That's pretty cool, though. Now, Sandra, where did you grow up? I grew up in central Massachusetts, which is where I live now. Was French Canadian cultural or identity kind of a presence at all in your life growing up? It was such a presence in my town that I thought the only immigrant groups that ever came to America were the French and the Irish, (laughs) because that's all there was in my town. In fact, when I first started doing genealogy and I discovered that the largest ethnic group at that time in the United States were the Germans, I was shocked. I could have sworn (laughs) they were the French and the Irish. That's awesome. Now, did you have like cultural traditions in your family that we kind of associate with it was like the food the language the holidays that kind of thing the holidays were always important but for some reason we didn't follow a lot of the traditions and i was closest with my mother's family well i shouldn't say that i was actually closer with my father's swedish mother but my mother, of course, we were with her all the time, and she visited her family a lot. So we saw them a lot. My grandparents spoke French. My mother was one of eight children, and when they were with their parents, they spoke French. But there was no French spoken in our home, of course. And the funny thing is, is I actually had my first tortillere a few years ago. <laughs> because, it, well, well, here's the thing. I didn't totally miss out. Every Thanksgiving, my mother made the fixings for the tortillere, but okay. without the pie crust. She made the, we had stuffing, and she would make a double batch at Thanksgiving, and it was the, the one that was made with the pork and the beef and the yep. potatoes and the crackers and the bell seasoning. That was the seasoning we had in ours. <laughs> That's awesome. And she made a double batch, so we had some to stuff the Thanksgiving turkey, and then we had some to thaw out and stuff the Christmas turkey. We had that every year. And when she passed away, well, a couple of years before she passed away, I made sure I sat down with her and wrote the recipe out. So the recipe looked like this. You know, you throw in, oh, you know, a little of that and and a little of this and a spoonful or so of that. You know, there was nothing exact about it at all. I wrote it down, thank God, just in time. And it was only after she passed away that I started making, the very first Christmas after, I started making the stuffing mix again. And I said, you know what? I'm going to keep some for stuffing, but I'm going to put some in a pie. So that's the first time I had it was about six years ago. I've made up for lost time, though. (laughs) I hope so. In your experience, did you, growing up, did you know, did you identify that dish as having, you know, French-Canadian roots at all? Nope. It was just something that you thought your family did. 
It was a family tradition, but I had no idea where it came from. That's awesome. Now, and I get the impression that so your mom's side was French Canadian, but your dad's side was not. Is that correct? Right. And so she must have gotten this from her mother. Now, the thing is, they always say that you know which region of Quebec that the immigrant is from based on how they make their tortillere. Interesting. But, yeah, but my grandmother was a Mathieu, or Matthew, and yep. they came down here in the late 1830s, early 1840s. Wow, that's pretty early. So they had a lot of years in there to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. ...to have a little change put in somewhere. Absolutely. But her father's family, the Sordzifs, they came down from Saint-Jacques and Saint-Ligori, about 50 miles north of Montreal. So I don't really know which side the recipe came from. So that would be interesting to see. Right. I'd also be interested to know if anybody else's family ever just made the stuffing without the pie or if we were unique in that respect. That's it. Yeah, because it's funny because my family was kind of unique, and my mom's mom always made hers her uh, we called it just pork pie or tartare um, with nuts. But again, same thing. I don't know anybody else who does that. So mm. we both we both need to do some investigating of it. That's right. Now, so when did you decide that you're going to start pursuing genealogy? I started genealogy in 1992. And I had thought about it for a couple of years, but I didn't start immediately because I thought, gee, my father's family were farmers and my mother's family were shoe workers. What am I going to find about them? They're not famous. Right, right. I mean, I had no idea. So I got a book sale catalog in the mail and I was looking through it and they had a book called Doing Your Scottish Genealogy. It was on sale for a few bucks. I'm not Scottish at all, but <laughs> I, say, I yeah. said, what the heck? I'll just check it out. So I ordered it. And as all good ethnic books begin, they all start with doing research here in this country. Sure. So the first half of the book was on doing American research. And I was shocked. Um, you mean you can get census records and vital records? I, the whole world of what was available opened up to me, and I was hooked. That is very, very awesome. So... Okay, so, so once you pick up this book, where do you go from there? What was your next step? More books, because this was, <laughs> in, this was in 1992 when people were just starting to get personal computers. So back gotcha. then, we looked Free for another book. Time. Yeah, we, you know, we went and looked for another book, and I found Emily Croom's book that took you from start to finish. And then I happened to notice in the newspaper that there was a meeting of the Massachusetts Society of Genealogists one town over from me. Very so cool. I said, what the heck, I'll check it out. And I went there and made some friends there and kept going back. And as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> and I'm assuming the search continues. Oh, it's, it's never going to end. <laughs> a a friend that. and I were talking once when my mother was still alive. We were talking about how, you know, we're, we're never going to finish our genealogy. My mother's there. How can you stand doing something that you know is never going to end? And That's we right. just looked at each other in horror and said, if it ever ended, what would we do? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely not a the destination, but the journey type thing. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. No, that's really, really neat. Now, how far back have you been able to go? I'm curious. Well, I went back to the 1400s on one that's of my crazy. lines. Oh, yeah, but then DNA proved that I was, my grandfather wasn't my grandfather, and all those years of research were for nothing. Okay, well, then, before we get to that story, that's something, <laughs> something we need to touch on for sure. Um, what, how far the, can you identify as actually being your genealogy at this point? How far back do we go? How far back you go is kind of a, a, a 
a not precise question only because okay. you have so many lines going sure. back. You know, I have some lines that only go back as far as maybe the 1700s, and then I have other lines that go back further. So it, it's all over the place with that. My French-Canadian lines, most of them go back to France. Okay. And you can, you can get, for most of them, the first generation in France. Some of them you can get two or three generations. That's awesome. Now, okay, so now obviously there's a story. We have a, a family member who turned out to not be a family member. What was that, what's that about? Well, that's on my father's side. So you see, the French Canadians were straight-laced good people. They didn't have sure these, they all were yes these <laughs> illegitimate children, of course. So yeah, this is, my father's birth certificate gives his father's name, and I researched that gentleman's lines all the way back, and then I found a cousin, and he and my brother both took a Y DNA, and it turned out he's a good win, and I'm not technically. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so I'm I'm in the process now of trying to figure out what one quarter of my an I lost a quarter of my ancestry. I lost sure. Revolutionary War soldiers, wow. and and it was like losing family members. But here's the thing: I've been doing genealogy so long, and so have most of my friends. That they're at the stage where there's not a whole lot more research to do. They're writing up their stories. Sure. But to a genealogist, the research is the really fun part. And because I lost a quarter <laughs> of my ancestry and I am at the point where I'm getting very close to figuring out who this grandfather is, I'm going to get to do it all over again. You, gotta get, you get to pick up the search all over again. The hunt is on. So that is awesome. That's you really, have to really look neat. at the uh, bright side and make lemonade out of your lemons. <laughs> very cool. I like that a lot. I understand uh, you were a teacher for a while. 35 years, yes. And what did you teach? Sixth grade. They never let me graduate. <laughs> I like it. Now, did you ever introduce this passion of yours for genealogy to your students? To the dismay of some of my students, <laughs> yes. That's awesome. But to others, they were very happy with it. Uh, what was interesting is I taught in the town I grew up in. I also taught in the town that my French-Canadian ancestors had lived in for about 150 years. Which means with the large families they had, I was related to just about half the class that went through every year. Awesome. And some of the kids liked that. And, <laughs> and some of the kids weren't too pleased at being related to the teacher. I had one girl that hated the fact that we were related. And she just was so grumpy the first half of the year. And then at Christmas time, she gave me a card and she signed it, your cousin, I guess I'll That's have hilarious. to accept it. <laughs> That's awesome. But her brother was just the opposite. She told her brother we were related. Her brother was in the fourth grade. I'd pass him in the hall, and he'd look at me and go, hi, cuz, and rush away before I could yell at him. He thought I was going to yell at him for being too familiar. Sure. That's oh, awesome. it was so funny. That's great. All right, well, that's way fun. Now, you mentioned, you know, you get a whole side of your family from Quebec. One of the coolest things for me was, I've only, I've not done anywhere near as much as you have, obviously, uh, but I can go a couple of generations back. It was the opportunity for me to go up with my dad and uh, see some of these towns mm -hmm. in Quebec that the family's from. I mean, have you done that trip to Chassis I've up done these villages? That, I've done that trip several times. In fact, um, uh, for those who listen to the podcast, I'm sure they're aware that in 2016, I, along with Lucy LeBlanc-Constantino, LeBlanc who I call the Acadian guru, we took a bunch of listeners and, and her, the people who follow her blog, and we went to walk in the footsteps of our ancestors in Acadia. We went to Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island. 
And then last summer, we took a whole group, including half the bus was from that original group. And we went to the Nouvelle France Festival and we walked in the footsteps of our ancestors in Quebec. And then next summer, we're going to be taking people to walk in the footsteps of their ancestors in Trois-Rivières in Montreal. That's a blast. And then the plan, we haven't started, you know, we haven't started really getting it to gel yet because we're working on this next one. But the plan is for in 2020 to walk in the footsteps of our ancestors in France. Oh, wow. And Annie Sargent of the Join Us in France podcast, she's helping us out on that end. So it, that should be a, a wonderful time. That would be an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm, definitely. Very cool. Now, one of the coolest things that happened to the feedback that we got, Mike and I, when we first started this podcast, was uh, we got some listeners that told us that uh, the French-Canadian legacy actually motivated them to want to start researching their history. Excellent. So I think it's it's really cool that we have an expert in genealogy here. And maybe you can give us, some of the listeners, some advice. If you're starting off brand new, you know, you're you're pretty sure anyway that you have French-Canadian lineage. I mean, what are the first couple steps you think they should take? Well, it doesn't matter whether you're French-Canadian, Hispanic, German, doesn't matter what you are. Everyone starts out the same way, and that's here in America. Sure. Because you cannot find where in the homeland your people are from until you've built your family here. Because sometimes knowing, you know, people repeated names a lot. I have more Pierre Paquets <laughs> in my family line than I care to know. But the, the problem is, is you work your way back in this country and you get to an ancestor who came from Canada. And in order to know that you have the right one up there, you have to have the whole family built out here so that you know you have the right Pierre Paquet and not the other one, the wrong one. Sure. So you start with yourself and you work backwards. If you have a family story that says, oh, we're descended from so-and-so, you never start with that person and come forward. Always start with yourself and work backwards. Interview the oldest members of your family before it's too late. And boy, I cannot stress this enough. And if you think you're going to do DNA, DNA test the oldest ones first. My mother was alive when I took my first DNA test, but I didn't test her. I tested myself first because I thought, well, she doesn't have my father's DNA in her, but I do. I have both of them, so I should test me. Yeah. But I didn't know what I was talking about, and I really should have tested her first. So hurry up and test the oldest members of your family. You want to take the time to learn how to do it correctly, but you don't want to make it so tedious that you let perfection get in the way of having a good time. Sure. So you have to walk this fine line. And I know a lot of people want to go online and watch webinars, but I still recommend using a good book to learn genealogy only because if you go online and you take a webinar, you're taking a course on this part of genealogy and then you're reading a blog post on this, but there's no coherency to it. Sure. So if you have a book, you're actually starting at the beginning. You do this, you do that, you do that next. These are some of the record groups. So I still think books present things in a better way to learn something. Because there's not just, you're not just going to find one place online that tells you everything you need to know about how to do genealogy. Also, join a genealogy society. Even if your ancestors were not from that area, you have the camaraderie, you have people who can show you what to do next, help you with your questions. So look for a local society, whether it's a, a state society or a special ethnic society 
like the one up in Manchester or Tallinn, Connecticut or Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Join those and, and the people will help you every step of the way. Genealogists are some of the nicest people around. Absolutely. I've definitely run across that myself for sure. When Every time I've gone to the, the ACGS I know here in Manchester, people have been awesome. Absolutely willing to take whatever time they need to help me out. And, you know, have the younger people in the family join in because they've done studies that show that young people who learn about their family history are much more well-rounded. They're, they're more grounded. I had a student once who I always taught my students genealogy in the fall because I figured their best chance of talking to their grandparents or their great-grandparents would be for Thanksgiving or Christmas around the holidays when the family sure. got together. Yep. And I'll never forget, we came back from Christmas vacation one year and this boy came up to me and he said, you know, I am so glad you had us interview my great grandfather because he died over Christmas vacation. Oh, wow. And he said, I never would have heard the stories about the war and I never would have known how funny he is. Oh, that's awesome. So I can just imagine a couple of months before this old gentleman passes away, someone in the family actually wanted to listen to him. And that, I mean, that changes, I mean, the narrative of, of that family forever now. It does. That, they have stories they never would have had. Oh, that's so neat. Now, I have to ask from my perspective, because I've, I've doing this a little bit, and I want to see if you have any tips on a couple of things that have been major roadblocks for me. One is language. I do not speak French. Mm -hmm. And two, reading handwriting has been a major issue. Now, how have you been able to work around those? Well, if you want to learn about, about reading the documents, you need to listen to the language tips in the first 41 episodes of my podcast. Perfect. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I've had people call, and, uh, call or write and say, you know, I know somewhere in your podcast you talked about this, but I can't find it. Yeah. So I am in the process of putting that all together in a book designed specifically for people doing French-Canadian genealogy who don't read French or, or haven't read it in years, because that's one of the major goals of my podcast. Yes, I want to share how to do French-Canadian genealogy, but I've gone researching with friends who have no French whatsoever. I mean, my French is basic at best. At sure. least I can muddle through. But I go researching with people who have had no French, and I have to help them as best I can. And I saw the struggles they have because they don't know the language. So that was always one of the main goals of my podcast was to help those who don't speak French be able to get through these records and, and pick out the information and understand them as best they can. And what was your second question? How do you do the handwriting? The handwriting, it's funny. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. So I always suggest that people have a handwriting guide. In fact, I have one on my website. I can send you the link for it. All it is is simply a chart that shows the capital letters of the alphabet and the small letters of the alphabet. And when you take a document and you can make out a word, you take the letters in that word and you add them to this chart. So you have gotcha. a record of how this particular person wrote those letters. So you look for every word that you can tell what it is. And then when you get to a word that you don't know what it is, you look on your chart to try to figure out what the letters are. That's very cool. I mean, that would seem to work really well in conjunction with, like you mentioned, the language tips. from Because I've listened to a whole bunch of them. Basically, it's like uh, you give specific words and then you break down um, what some of these phrases might mean in mm -hmm. various documents. It's really cool. But So we should get into the podcast because... The podcast is awesome. Absolutely awesome podcast. What made you decide well, thank to, you. to want to start the podcast? 
I had to do something in retirement. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. You know, the last five or six years of my teaching career, that's when podcasts started coming out. And I spent those years commuting back and forth to work, listening to Lisa Louise Cook's genealogy gems and the genealogy guys. And I knew once I retired, I wanted to do something in genealogy. And the more I listened to those, I said, you know what, I think I want to do a podcast. But Lisa Louise Cook taught general genealogy lessons. And the genealogy guys covered the news in the genealogy world. So I was looking for something different. And I said, you know, what, what am I kind of good at that I could turn into a podcast? And I thought, well, half my, half my ancestors are French Canadian. I've been doing that for 20 years. I don't see a French Canadian podcast out there. So let's do that. That's awesome. Well, and that answers my next question was, how did you arrive at just focusing on just the French Canadian side? It's because you saw a need for somebody to take that. Right. That's really there, neat. There wasn't one there. There was a Swedish one. There were Irish ones. There were Hispanic ones. There wasn't a French one in sight. If a listener maybe hasn't had the opportunity to check out your podcast yet, in addition to the language notes that we've just alluded to, uh, what would they find? What can they expect to, to find in your podcast? Uh, they'll find a couple of different things scattered throughout. We do do some cultural things like you do. But the, the cultural things are always coming from a genealogical perspective, which is why you and I could interview the same person and have two totally different podcasts. Absolutely. Because I'm always coming from the point of view as, okay, you, you are presenting this information to us. Now, if this applies to my particular family, what record sets are available for me to find out my ancestors' role in this cultural or historical event? That type of thing. Sure. Uh, we also have lessons on how to maneuver around in different databases because when you go into these French databases, the instructions are in French. And yes, you can get the Google Translate, but then you get deeper down into the, the level of the record itself and maybe things are presented in a column and you can't read the column headings. So I wanted to help English-speaking listeners be able to figure out how to get the information out of these records, what the sure. records were trying to tell them. So we have episodes like that. And I try to scatter them so that I don't bore people too much with the same type of thing gotcha. all in a row, you know, so we kind of scatter them throughout. We have some history ones throughout. So, so we, you know, the methodology and the history and the culture, we mix it all up. And, and I will mention, because you alluded to the fact that we could interview the same people and have very different discussions. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we have. Yes, uh, we did. Juliana LaRue has done both of our shows. David Vermette, Patrick mm -hmm. Lacroix has done both of our shows. Mm -hmm. Super interesting people. And I thought, and you are absolutely right. Different things that we talked about with all the various guests. That's right. Now, so how long have you been doing this podcast? Since December of 2012. And how many episodes in are we? I'm 85 or so in. I think I'm working on the 85th now. That's awesome. And where did you get the idea for a week after, or first of all, before we do that, it's, it's, it comes out every month. Is that correct? It does now. I started out every two weeks and I had no life. <laughs> so after two years or so of that, I switched it to every three weeks and I had a little life, but I still had major projects that kept piling up. Sure. So once I had enough of a back catalog that I figured someone who listened for the first time today and liked it would have enough to go back and listen to. That makes sense. I then switched it to once a month. So I have time to do other projects. <laughs> sure. I mean, Mike and I can absolutely sign on to the idea that 
creating a podcast takes a ton of time. And I'm sure. doing it all by myself. Yes. I, I, I don't, don't I, have I, a I, Michael in my studio. <laughs> I'm very fortunate. Now, <laughs> that's awesome. Now, where do you get the idea uh, for these episodes month over month? Oh, they come from everywhere. I mean, social media, people I talk to, things I read in blogs, online, current events. I mean, you name it, they just pop up everywhere. In fact, that's one of the things when I first started. They tell you when you're going to do a podcast to make sure you have enough content for the first 10 episodes. Sure. So I sat here and I, you know, I'm there, well, what can I do? I can do this. I can do that. And I made sure I had 10 things. Well, my second episode was supposed, my, my second, third, and fourth episodes were all supposed to be one episode. But there was so much information. I had sure, to break it up, sure. and it turned out to be three episodes. And I haven't found it difficult to find content since. That's awesome. Now, where did you get the name? The name is probably not my finest moment because only after I used that name, I started learning more about podcasting. And they said, you should never come out, up with a cutesy name. You should always make sure your name tells the listener exactly what the podcast is about. Okay. So that's why I added the the subtitle to it, Your French-Canadian Genealogy Podcast. But as far as Maple Stars and Stripes, I wanted a title that combined the Quebecois culture with the American culture. And my sure. mother was always very patriotic as much as she loved her history. She was patriotic to this country. So we loved maple syrup. <laughs> so I took the maple from Quebec and put it with the Stars and Stripes of America and came up with the title. That's it. That's really neat. Now, we've been very uh, upfront with the fact that uh, it took us a while uh, before between idea and actually producing the very first mm -hmm. episode. I'm curious how long that process worked for you. I probably did it in a way that most people wouldn't because my mother had just passed away right after I retired. Gotcha. She passed away two months after. And I, my plans were to start the podcast when I retired. But, of course, that got put on hold sure. for a little bit as oh, I... absolutely. You know, cleaned up after that and, and did what you have to do to wrap up a person's life. All of a sudden, I found myself with a lot more hours in the day, and I just filled them with learning how to do a podcast. So I took three months from September to December, and I, I swear I did 10, 12-hour days. I oh, wow. actually took a college course. I use computers a lot, but I'm of the older generation that when you're going to learn something your mind doesn't go to computers first. Sure. So I go to the old-fashioned stuff, books. Right. And in this case, I looked for an online college course to take on podcasting. So <laughs> I, I took this course, and it was great, except it was using a textbook that was seven years old. Oh, and wow. You know how much things change in technology and how sure. fast they change. They were recommending equipment, and I'm like, I don't know if I should buy this because... They must have better stuff than this by now. Seven you know? years later, absolutely. Yeah, so the course taught you how to get your podcast put together, but then it didn't tell you what to do with it after that. So I found myself sitting here going, great. I recorded my first podcast, but I have no idea how to get it to go live. Sure. So then I had to start <laughs> digging around more and trying to figure out how to do that. It was a frustrating experience. I could imagine. Now, I'm curious on this because I'm already seeing that it is starting to develop into something even a little bit different than I had originally envisioned. Oh, definitely. When we first started. And I'm curious if the Maple Stars and Stripes today is different than what you had envisioned before you recorded that very first episode. 
Well, I know ha- I no longer have a language tip only because I ran out of ideas for that. Gotcha. But it's not so much the podcast itself that's changed. It's it's what it's my business model that's changed. For example, I never thought I'd write a book. Yeah. But but that came up after people started writing me about where is this? Where can I find this? I said, well, there's got to be an easier way to put it together for people, sure. you know. Uh, I hope to do some online classes after that. That's awesome. That's coming up down the pipeline. I mean, you just, just like when you start genealogy, you don't know where that's going to take you. When you start something like a podcast, you just, you just never know. Okay. This is very neat. So this is, this time is absolutely flown by Sandy. This has been way, way fun. Uh, so before we winding down a couple of things, first of all, I mean, you alluded to it a little bit, having a book would be cool. Online class would be cool. Is there anything else we can envision for the future? For listeners of the Maple Stars and Stripes podcast? To find the time to do those things first. <laughs> you got it. No problem. <laughs> now, where can anybody find your your podcast? Well, the podcast is at maplestarsandstripes.com. Of course, you can listen to it right on your computer, or you can download it in Stitcher for Android or through Apple Podcasts for the Apple iOS. We're on Facebook. We have a private Facebook group, so just look for maple stars and stripes and we do have another upcoming trip so if anybody's interesting uh, interesting if anybody's <laughs> interested in that just come and join us on facebook and you'll know when to be ready to put in your application for that that is awesome before we go though i do absolutely have to make a plug because i mean listening to your podcast is great but i think the listeners are doing themselves a disservice if they don't actually go check out your show notes because your show notes for every single episode are amazing. Now, how long does it take you to get those together? Because they're they're always full of resources that you can reference if you want to look more into the subject matter. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that because they do take a little bit of time and it's nice to know it's not for nothing. <laughs> because, oh, you know, awesome. but podcasts are the type of thing that usually you're listening to on the go. Sure, so I know right. just, just from my listening to podcasts, I'll be listening to one. I'll say, I got to remember to go see those show notes. And so many times I forget to go back once right. I'm back home again, you know. So I, I do them because I think they're valuable, but I don't think people use them as much as they could or should. So, yes, thank you for saying that you do go and check them out. But I don't know. It takes um, three, four hours maybe to gotcha. put it together. Well, it's awesome. Yeah, because to me it adds like it's a whole other level to whatever the topic happens to be that day, whether sometimes it's an interview or the early ones. Um it was, you know, when you were given directions and tips on how to do research, mm-hmm. I thought super, super fascinating to be able to follow up on that as you were talking about it, to be able to look through, I thought it was really cool. So well, that's good. I'm glad you find it helpful. Well, thank you very much for that. And thank you very much for joining us here on the French well, Canadian Legacy it Podcast. It was pleasure. absolutely awesome to have you. I always enjoy talking to you, Jesse. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 
at FCL Podcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode. This program is recorded at the Conquer TV podcasting studio. The views and opinions expressed during this podcast are not necessarily those of Conquer TV. The producer is solely responsible for its content.